2: Over the weekend, President Trump nominated Judge Amy Coney Barrett to fill the Supreme Court vacancy, moving to the next part of the nomination process in the Senate. Chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Senator Lindsey Graham, has said confirmation hearings will begin October 12th and could be concluded as early as October 26th. Former Vice President Joe Biden spoke on this issue on Sunday, imploring Senate Republicans not to confirm Judge Barrett until after the 2020 election was over, while he also claimed the Barrett nomination signals an intention to overturn the Affordable Care Act. And the twists and turns of the final days of the campaign took another turn on Sunday as President Trump responded forcefully to a New York Times article regarding his tax returns. This all comes just days before both candidates are set to take the debate stage for the first presidential debate of the 2020 campaign hosted by our own Fox News Sunday host, Chris Wallace. We will start there with our panel, anchor of The Daily Briefing, co-host of The Five, Dana Perino, anchor of Fox's The Story, my co-anchor on debate night, Martha McCallum, and Fox News political analyst, co-host of The Five, Juan Williams. Thanks for doing this, guys. Pleasure hey to be here, Nice day in Cleveland. Beautiful day in Cleveland. It seems like we have so many things ahead of this debate that there are so many topics that Chris Wallace could get into.
0: I know. So true. I mean, just last night, you had this tax story that kind of exploded on the scene, and it's getting more traction today. Uh, the one link that keeps coming up for me in a piece that I read about it today, it's this, this link between, oh, because of this financial situation that appears to surface in this data, and these are not the actual tax documents, these are the data that was given to the New York Times, uh, then he must be indebted to overseas interests in a way that endangers our national security. And that, that, that's the link that I don't think is accurately or completely made in this story or in the subsequent stories that are pouring out. Uh, and you do obviously have to ask questions about the timing of all of this.
2: Juan, how much impact do you think that story has? Does it overtake tomorrow night? Well, you know, Chris Wallace laid
3: out buckets of areas of inquiry. Remember, it's a 90-minute debate, 15-minute segments. I think you and Martha are nodding at me because you know it better than I do. Um, But I don't think that the tax issue fits into any of the buckets naturally. So this is going to have to be raised by the opponent, Joe Biden, on the stage. And my anticipation had been that it would be Trump on the attack against Biden, for example, bringing up Biden's son and questions about foreign entanglements and money. But now it seems to me Biden will be loaded to go at Trump. And I wonder how he does it effectively.
2: There is the caveat about breaking news and about the candidates' records that Chris Wallace could squeak this in on. Um, But there's a lot to talk about here.
1: So much there's so much so like for a strong issue set if you're joe biden you're going into this with coronavirus and health care as your strongest issue areas and president trump's strongest issue areas are the economy and that's borne out in all the polls and probably i think judges and his record right in, in 2016 he didn't have a record to run on now he does and he's super engaged and he's out he's out working joe biden i think there's just no question about that in terms of what you see and in terms of activity. Now, is it too much activity? Because nothing can stick. It's so confusing. It's like being a raccoon in a room full of disco balls. Like, what do you focus on right now? And maybe that's part of the strategy, too, right? Like, don't focus on this tax story. So he's going to do um, several events every single day, just throwing everything against the wall. And that, you know, that could work for him. But for Joe Biden, the st- strategy has been steady as she goes. When it comes to the Achilles heel for both, I think Juan's right, uh, Joe Biden's family and Hunter Biden in particular, you know, President Trump knows that Joe Biden has a temper and he can get him, he can provoke him into some sort of angry outburst perhaps if he talks about his son. Biden knows that President Trump's is this idea that he is a fake billionaire and that he doesn't care about people like you and me, that he's cheating you out of um, his fair share, right? But you'll hear that phrase. And so I think on the seven hundred and fifty dollars that he paid in income taxes, apparently, according to the story, it's that it's one of those numbers that is so specific. It's not like it's like when you go to the store and something is six six ninety nine, but that sticks with you rather than seven hundred. Seven hundred fifty reminds me of when Mitt Romney, when he said only forty seven percent of people are beholden to the government, that number forty seven it stuck with people and it was right there. So I would imagine that Joe Biden is going to want to try to use that.
2: This is a huge moment for both campaigns, but. They've both been in the spotlight for so long. Is it, do they get, you think, super nervous about this night?
1: I think, you know, remember you heard um, narratives all along that President Trump didn't really want to win or maybe he was going to drop out. Or... I never believed that. Like, he absolutely wants to win. He wants to win re-election so much that he announced his re-election effort on his first inauguration day. And he's been working on that ever since. I actually think, like, I think Joe Biden wants to win-ish. you you just wonder, like, is the fire in the belly? Is the hunger really there? Is it going to come across? It's hard to say, because this has not been a typical campaign season. What you would have seen in a normal campaign from March to today, which is September 28th, you would have all this information, the campaigns out on the trail, you could see how the voters are reacting to the candidates. We don't have that this time around. So it's kind of hard to say. But I think that this is for all the marbles. It's not just the presidency that people are thinking about. I do also think it is very much about the future of the country, the direction of the country, and it, and that brings in the Supreme Court nomination.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, you've got Joe Biden, who's obviously taking days off the trail to prepare, and he's got mock debates, and he's got his folders, according to the New York Times, that he's got all this stuff, but he doesn't have a lot of reps taking tough questions. I mean, it doesn't really at all.
0: No. In fact, they have sort of taken the low, quiet road to the presidency. And I'm thinking, when you go back to the primary season, and whether or not Joe Biden wants this, whether it burns in him, obviously, he's tried three times before. So as a life experience, I'm sure he would like to to finish a, a winner in this situation. But they have gone the absolute opposite of the Trump route. And they have Perhaps completely legitimately, or perhaps it's also worked to their advantage, taken this COVID thing to the extreme in terms of the the reasons why they can't do this or they can't do that, and they've watched President Trump. Uh, you know, the other night he said, "I'm working my ass off out here," and he's not doing anything. Um, so that's that's the dichotomy. So how people you know sort of choose to to take that in and what it makes them feel about that president's vibrancy and ability to do the job, is something that I think you know we'll see at election day. But we're also going to see it tomorrow and You know, these two men are going to have a contest that is mano a mano. It's like a prize fight. They walk out of there from each side and they have to use their intellect and their wit to to battle each other. And I think it's going to be extraordinary, but I also think that There will, as there always is, there's going to be a night where the president loses, where you know he does not; his energy isn't what it usually is, or some factor that we don't know what it is yet. Um, But there's no doubt that there's going to be, uh, you know, some winner. That it's not going to be a straight uh, flush for anybody. Last couple times,
2: the the incumbent president has had a bad first debate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we sure. I think all of us sitting
3: here know what happened in terms of. Barack Obama and Mitt Romney, uh, where Barack Obama was assumed to be such a startling intellect, and in fact, he came across as a dud in that first debate with Romney. But I wanted to say, I think that one element that we're not paying attention to here is the general landscape. The general landscape is that people, a lot of people, want to return to a more normal, stable America, that the onslaught, the kind of fire hydrant of Trump tweets and Trump statements and Trump controversies and Trump scandals, I think plays to the idea that Biden comes across as more stable and maybe not as out there frantic or frenetic, if you will. And the second thing to say is, even as we anticipate these debates, so many Americans have made up their minds that right now it's about 8 percent of the vote that seems undecided, with Biden holding a pretty consistent lead between 5 and 10 percentage points. So if you look at it that way and then think about what we were discussing earlier, that New York Times story about the taxes, how will it impact that undecided group? Could it be that that actually says to that undecided group, he doesn't play by the rules the way you and I have to play by the rules? $750 for Mr. Billionaire? How is that possible? So...
2: Just from a pure political analyst's point of view, has COVID-19 made Joe Biden a better candidate or a worse candidate?
3: I think it's actually defined his candidacy. This is what Martha was saying, that he has, Martha said an extreme, that he took it to an extreme in terms of not going out. I'm not sure he took it to an extreme, but he and his campaign, Jennifer Dillon O'Malley, the campaign manager, made a decision on very basic things like, do you go and knock on people's door? The Trump campaign said yes. The Biden campaign said no. People don't want anyone, a stranger, coming to the door. They will talk to you over the phone. They will take your mail. They'll take your social media appeal. The Trump campaign, a different approach. So when you ask me, has it defined? I think it has defined Biden and to a certain extent, the lack of the big Trump rallies. It's also had a tremendous impact on what was president trump's number one weapon those huge passionate rallies that got great television coverage we'll hear from our panel after this the will kane show is now dropping five episodes a week join fox and friends weekend host will kane as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts
2: So you think Joe Biden comes back to COVID as much as he can? It's almost like touching the bases. Even the topic is on something else. He comes back to COVID.
1: I think that people might get a little bored with that. And I'm thinking about Marco Rubio when he had his stump speech and he just kept going back to the same lines over and over again. And it got so annoying that even Chris Christie took him out on that. Um, If you remember in that New Hampshire debate, it was like, Here you go again. It's like so boring. I mean, the president, the coronavirus is super important. I understand that people are concerned, but I do think that people can understand that, yes, we have coronavirus. We are dealing with that. We have a lot of other issues on our plate as well. The economy, because of coronavirus, you could maybe connect that. Racial strife, that is a big issue. Um, Also, our just global competitiveness. Um, I I think that when when you look at what's happening to a lot of our students across America this past six months and maybe even another year, how much are they losing to other countries? And I think moms are really concerned about that. So I think if he he could come back to coronavirus every time, but I would, I would bring it up if I were he, I would bring it up in ways that directly make sense. I wouldn't try to tangentially connect it to things that aren't there because I think it will turn people off.
0: Yeah. I also just mentioned that people are, I, I talked to a group of uh, suburban moms yesterday in Ohio, and there was a, a fair amount of anger about the lockdown. So that that's the flip side of the COVID story. People who feel like it has strangled them in a way that uh, is, is such an impediment to their life and their ability to have to do their job, and or for these moms to go back to work as they have to take care of their kids at home. It's been an unbelievable struggle for them. So that that's That is also a factor, I think.
2: How does the judge, Amy Coney Barrett, play? Biden spoke out about it finally over the weekend, but for the most part hasn't talked about it too much because in part the numbers aren't there. So does it play in the electorate? I mean, does it motivate both sides equally? Well,
3: at the moment, the numbers seem to indicate that most Americans feel the process is rushed. So if you're talking specifically about the jurist, no, I don't. You know, people are like, well, we don't really know her. She seems like a nice lady, telegenic, lovely family and the like. But if you start talking to them about two things, Brett, one, the process, the numbers are overwhelming. People say this is being rushed and the next president should make the call on the nominee. The second thing is the actual impact. What are the policies that are likely to shift as a result of a six to three conservative majority on the Supreme Court? And what we've seen from the Democrats so far, going down the line, Biden, Schumer, Pelosi, and the rest, is they're talking about the Affordable Care Act and the possibility that a case that will come before the court the week after the election would suddenly be decided by an Amy Coney Barrett who does not seem open to the Affordable
2: Care Act. And that's how they make it relevant to this election for them.
1: And it's a way for them not to focus on Roe v. Wade. Um, And I do think that the Supreme Court issue motivates both sides. Um, For Republicans and conservatives, they have for decades voted. Some of them are single issue voters when it comes to the courts. Um, The Democrats are kind of catching up on that because they recognize that they are are going to be in this situation where after decades, there was a more liberal leaning court. Now it is going to be a conservative leaning court. So I mean, it 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 might be too quaint to suggest that these justices would just rule based on their interpretation of the law, and not on who nominated them. I think that's a terrible way to think about Supreme Court justices. Um, th- that uh, what, the thing about Amy Coney Barrett is, uh, the Democrats are between a rock and a hard place. They're not going to go after her like they did Brett Kavanaugh, and also it's a, kind of because it's pointless. Number one, also she is a very dignified, poised uh, character, a young mother who's accomplished these amazing things. I'm excited for young women across the country regardless of ideology, to have a new role model in their lives. Somebody who says, yeah, you can have it all. You can be an amazing lawyer who becomes a Supreme Court justice and the mother of seven, including two adopted children. I mean, that's a a life that a lot of people would envy.
2: A lot of Democrats seem like they're getting the message. There's a few things on Twitter, but as far as Capitol Hill maybe don't go down that road. He
1: clearly
0: pivoted to healthcare. Healthcare, healthcare, healthcare is the way that they're going to go after Amy Coney Barrett, but I would just mention one other thing. As far as, you know, you, you compare her to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, both, you know, amazing lives and have done so much for women in this country, but Amy Coney Barrett is also a woman of strong faith. So that's the thing that is a little bit different in her combination of what she presents. She's this incredibly hardworking mom with all of these children, and she's also a deeply religious person. And I think there's a lot of women across America, uh, especially in the middle of America, that who really look at that and say, "Okay, she she's like me." And I think that's why you heard her in that opening statement in the Rose Garden talk about that. You know, I'm I'm in my minivan. I'm the pickup mom in the pool. You know, I'm all those things. And also talk about the fact that she was clearly not subservient to her husband was another point that she made I kind of felt very sorry strongly. for
2: him in that speech i mean he really got slammed i, I mean yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: well thank you all this is going to be an amazing run it holy is. cow to election it's day
1: been fun to be with you in person again i know yeah
2: instead of over Zoom. <laughs> or the phone. Thanks guys. Listen, here's a bit of campaign trivia. September 30th, 2004, the first presidential debate took place between President George W. Bush, U.S. Senator of Massachusetts, John Kerry. During this debate, Kerry accused President Bush of failing to gain international support for the 2003 invasion of Iraq, saying, when we went in, there were three countries, Great Britain, Australia, and the United States. That's not a grand coalition. President Bush then responded to Kerry saying, well, actually, he forgot Poland while citing other members of the coalition. President George W. Bush continued to make his case to the American people and would go on to win re-election in 2004, winning by a margin of 35 electoral votes, 50.7% of the popular vote. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From Martha and Juan and Dana, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time.